Welcome to the Living Waters Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoy today's message. Now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war, but there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement, and this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives no choice between peace and war, only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? When Nikita Khrushchev has told his people, he knows what our answer will be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of the Cold War and someday, when the time comes to deliver the final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because by that time, we will have been weakened from within spiritually, morally, and economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price, or better read than death, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war, because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shotters around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. He said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You man of God, you warrior of God, have been given a purpose. Whether you know the purpose or not, you have been given a purpose from God. Genesis 1. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it, and it was so. That means we have that purpose. Man, you have a purpose to provide, to protect, and to cultivate your surroundings your family, your, husband, your wife, your children, your community, and your church. That's the purpose that God has given to us. And each and every one of us have a different path within that purpose. But that is your purpose as a man of God. Through this book that we are reading through the uh, men's group, the author Craig Groeschel said, God created men to have the heart of a warrior, placing a desire within us to stand up and fight for what's pure. For what's true, a man has a warrior's heart. You have a warrior's heart. You itch for a fight. That's God's design, not ours. 
And we went into depth about this last week. Matthew 20, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despite the other. So we only have two choices. You either submit to God and fight Satan, or you fight God and submit to Satan. There is no middle line. If you believe in the word of God, and that's what we as followers of Christ stand on, the word of God is true. You can't serve both. You cannot do it. So you, as a warrior of God, have a purpose that you are expected to fulfill. You are expected. Just as if you were the quarterback on a football team, you are expected to play the role of the quarterback. And each and every one of you men have a role that you are expected to fulfill for your family, for your wife, for your children, for your church, for your community, and for yourself. For yourself. So we think, like, why is all this stuff so important? Like, we're talking about all this warrior of God and how strong we have to be as men and when we talk about warrior-ness, you know, you think about Braveheart, you think about, ah, and you want to fight, and you want to, like, bring it on, because I'm going to take you down, I'm going to shoot you, whatever. But that's not what I'm talking about, right? This warrior of God, don't get crazy, Misha. This warrior of God is inside of you. It's in us. And God put it there for a purpose. This is a quote, Okay? Men have failed at living the word, failed to fight for our faith, failed to stand up for families. People are like, no, I haven't, I haven't really. I haven't really um, failed my family. I'm there for my family. But then you think about like, what the word of God says, and it's kind of like, how often do we actually just, besides dinner time, how, much, how often do we just sit there and just pray with our family? Like, how often do we sit there and talk about the Bible with our family? Talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done in my life to my, my family. How often do we witness to our own family other than Jesus, please bless his food, right? How often do we do that? Failed at being an example in the church or the workplace. Failed at making disciples or mentoring young men. Quote, church has never been more full of mindless, man-following, wimpy husbands. Oh my gosh. I don't want to repeat this. Uh, this is a quote, right? Church has never, this is for you. Church has never been more full of mindless, man-following, wimpy husbands. Uh, that's what people believe about the church. That's what people believe that the church is going. And last week we talked about all these statistics. 61% of the church is made up of women. Only 39% are men. Remember that ridiculous number? How many women are worshiping God by themselves every Sunday? Where is the man, the warrior of God? Where are we? So we talked about what being a warrior of God was about. Now we talked about how do we do that? What does it take in order to be this warrior of God that God has put in each and every one of you men, what does it take 
to be that warrior of God. And he's one word, right? Courage. It takes courage. The definition of courage, the ability to do something that frightens you. Strength in the face of pain or grief. Joshua and Caleb, um, you know, the Testament back in Numbers. You know, Moses was used to deliver Israel from Egypt. Right? So they're out wandering in the wilderness, and God wants to take them. God wants to take these, these chosen people, wants to take them to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. Canaan. And he's in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, and he keeps giving them these tests. And every time he gave them one of these tests, they would turn away from God. Instead of, when they're hungry, instead of saying, God, will you supply us food, they started whining and complaining. We should have just stayed there and been slaves. It would have been better if we would have died as a slave than to die of hunger out here in the wilderness. And God had delivered them from Egypt. He sent all those ten plagues to help deliver them from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea, drowned them all when they came in so that they could escape. And yet, even through those miracles, they still question because they're not focused on the experiences and what God has done in their life or what God has done around them. All they're focusing on is what am I going through right now and why isn't God doing what God is supposed to do? So forget God. I want to go back to Egypt. At least I can get table scraps because it's effortless, right? That's effortless because they know they're going to get those table scraps. They're not sure what God is going to do and when God's going to do it. So they come up after 40 years, and they come up to, to the promised land. And God says, I want you to send in the 12. Send in a representative of each, uh, send uh, one representative from each into, into the promised land. And let them go out and scope it out. Here's what he says. Um, Numbers 13.1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Not, I'm going to send you in there and let me know if you think you can take it. I am giving to the Israelites. Numbers 13, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. 1328, we even saw descendants of Anak there which are considered to be giants. Caleb and Joshua were like, no, 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 wait, wait. We should go. This is for us. We can do this. The other ten like, no way. No way. These people are too strong, even though God said, I am giving it to you. I've already given it to you. Go. So all the people started to whine about it. They just started to whine and lost an opportunity that God was placing in their lap that he had already given to them. We do this all the time, right? Warriors, 
I could never be, God's already said, he's like, I give you all of this. I give you, you read your Bible, I give you everything. Here it is. Just look to me. Look to me, I'll direct you, I'll guide you, I'll give it to you. And we're like, I could never be that person. I could never be that man to my family. I could never overcome that addiction. I could never do this. God already said he's going to deliver you. I could never do it. I could never forgive that person. They hurt me too much. I couldn't do it. But God has already said he's already given it to us. He's already done it. And we act like these ten men. Just praying to be one of a Caleb or Joshua's. Looking to the Caleb's and Joshua's that are around us. Hey, Joshua, can you help me out here? God's already given it to you to do it. You don't have to rely on one other person. You've got God because he's already told you he's done it. But only we can make that decision, right? Only we get to make the decision on how we're going to lead our flock, our families. What am I going to allow myself to let God use me for? You have a purpose. Now it's which path is in that purpose for me. When we think about courage and people that are courageous, society kind of like defines courage for us, right? When I say courage, the very first thing you think of is some firefighter pulling out a baby out of a burning building. A mom picking up a car off of a kid. Little dude like me trying to take on a big dude like this. Do you see him standing next to Pastor? <laughs> it's like, I was like, I'm glad I'm not up there right now because they look even shorter. Steve Jobs, Jobs, standing firm for what he believes Apple should be about. We see him, that was courageous, right? But what we don't consider is what did he do to all those people to make Apple be to make Apple be so successful as it is. Martin Luther King Jr., who spoke out about inequality at his own personal risk. Walt Disney, taking all the financial risk to make a dream come true with that firefighter pulling out a kid out of the building. But we're not going to talk about that kind of courage. The kind of courage I want to talk about is in Luke 22, 41 through 42. Jesus knelt down and prayed, Father, if it is your will, take the cup away from me. Not my will, but yours be done. Take the cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Marianne Rodmacher said, Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes, Courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. Courage is the willingness to fail and to try again. Sometimes it takes more courage to back away from a confrontation than to go after it. How many of you guys, somebody comes to my house like we talked about, I, and they're trying to break my house. It's on. That is easy. I'm walking with my family. Yes, it's on. Somebody's trying to come after my family. It's happening. Every single one of you men in here are going to say the exact same thing. You're not going to let that happen. But what about the other courage? What about the courage of Christ? What about if it's my will, I mean, if it's your will, 
Make it happen. Let's do it. Sometimes the emotional and mind conflict, the emotional part of what our mind is going through is harder than the physical part that we ever have to go through. I, uh, I don't know what's happening with me right now. I'm just telling you this. Over these past six months, we talked about last week, man of God, I have no idea. God is just throwing me into this, what is a man of God? What is this warrior of God? And my buddies, when I was in school, always used to make fun of me because they would get me mad just because they thought it was funny. Because then I would lift my chin up and I'd stick my chest out, right? I'm gone. And sometimes when I'm reading and I'm studying all this stuff right now, I feel like I got my chest out and my chin up. But I'm not looking to fight somebody. I'm looking to fight for somebody. Right? And I've, I, I, like, I don't know why. And it's such this passion inside of me right now. And through our men's group, I've been blessed to be able to talk to these men in private conversations, just one or two or three, and to get so deep into their lives of things that I never knew about them. And I just sit there in awe. Like, I'm seriously just in awe of the person that these men have become, despite the circumstances that they've come through and they've had to experience. And I wonder, like, all right, man, you went through all of this stuff, all of this, the lashes, the crown of thorns. You went through all of this stuff, and look at who you are right now. How did you get there? How did you become that man? And when I ask them, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? A lot of people are like, you know, they're going to lift the car up, take the baby out of the burning building, taking on a big old bully, David Goliath scenario, which we're not talking about, right? Because we all expect to be the David and Goliath thing. Every time I ask what's the most courageous thing you've done, they're telling me that they did something that they felt they were supposed to do. And they stuck with it, despite all the things that came at them. Nothing to do with fighting. Nothing to do with somebody threatening them, physically. Everything to do with somebody threatening them spiritually and the direction that they felt they were supposed to be going. And then you ask them, okay, you got this courage. Like, you're doing this. This is what's been placed in you. Where did you get that? What, what, who mentored you? What was the model that you got to see? Like, who taught you how to be a warrior of God? Who taught you what courage was all about? Right? You think, well, my dad is bigger than your dad, right? Or something like that. Never. Nobody's ever said anything about that. Every time that they answer, they all say the same thing. This person, despite all of the stuff that was coming at them, despite all of the lack that they had, fought for what they believed. They fought for their family. They fought to feed their family. They fought to represent the important things in life, which was not money. Always about their family. Always about putting their needs first instead of mine. Every single time. Praying and asking to help somebody out. Every single time, it's about putting their needs first. And that's what they remember. 
There's one thing that my father-in-law and I have in common. We have a lot of things in common, but one thing that we both have in common that we have a shared experience on, which was, to me, a very hard thing, and I feel a very courageous thing because it was a spiritual thing that we both had gone through. And my grandfather was the most important man in my life. And Jay and his mother had a very amazing relationship as well. When my grandfather was dying, <clears throat> and I prayed, come on, God, come on, God, we got to fix him, got to heal him, got to heal him, got to heal him. And God told me, I'm taking him home. Well, pray for him. Pray for your family. Pray for your grandmother. And our pastor had the same experience with his mother. And that was one of the hardest things because you want them. You don't want them to go home. <laughs> you don't want them to go home. I want them here with me. And God says, stop. This isn't about you. Your family right now is what this is about. Right? And it's a thing that we both uh, get to share together, which is amazing. <laughs> it's an amazing thing, first of all. Esther. Esther in the Old Testament. She's being mentored by Mordecai, this Jew. And King Xerxes is looking for another companion. <laughs> another companion, right? But that's how it was. So he's looking for another companion. So Mordecai's prepping, prepping Esther. And Esther gets chosen. And during all this time, King Xerxes appointed uh, this other man, Haman, and honored him. Haman? Haman. Honored him. He honored him. And Mordecai did not want to honor him. King says, I want everybody to bow to this guy. He's like, I'm not bowing to this guy. Like, I don't, I don't believe in this guy. So this guy says to King Xerxes, hey, this guy, these, these people, this guy won't bow. So I don't want to hurt just him. I want to wipe all of them out. Right? I want to wipe them all out. And, you know, you, you think about that, like, he has one problem with just one guy. But he wants to destroy everything around that man. So it's not just poke him with a knife and stab him. So I'm going to stab him. I'm going to run it around. And I'm going to dig it in. And how many times do we feel like when something's going wrong, like, it just keeps building up. Like, gosh, things just won't stop. One bad thing, and then another thing. And then another thing, and people are saying that to me right now. When I got back from this fishing trip, I was on a fishing trip, and I took this, I had a scopolamine patch to help me from getting sick, seasick, and I lost my vision, and I couldn't pee. I know that's a lot there, but I couldn't pee because that's what it does to you. And when I come back, my heart rate's like 140 now. I'm like, what in the world? And then it just builds up, like, boom. Now my eye doctor is like, I don't know if your left eye is going to go back to the way it was before. Now I get a stress test and an echo on Tuesday, and at the same time, my appendix went out. What in the world? It's like, it just keeps happening, right? And it just feels like one thing, and then it just builds up, and it just keeps digging, and just digging. And you're like, the fight just never stops. When am I going to get a breath? I was watching these soldiers in Afghanistan, watching a documentary on them, and the guy's like, all we want is just one day of rest. They won't stop. They're going to a funeral. What do they get? Another mine. 
Can they just leave us alone for one day? Let me just breathe. It's like the storm is always there. Where's the blue skies? Just for a day. So he convinced that all these people need to be destroyed. And then the Jews hear about this, and they're terrified, right? They're just terrified. So Mordecai asks Esther, hey, you need to go to the king. You need to step up for your people. You need to go tell them what's going on. She's like, I can't. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I could die. Because whenever you would go before the king, if he didn't give you his gold scepter, there was only one penalty, death. There was no other options. You were, you were killed. So she's terrified, right? This is the same as us. Come before something, I have a difficult thing. I know that right now this is my path within the purpose that God has given me as a warrior of God. I know this. But if I do that, my friend may not talk to me anymore. They may not invite me back over anymore. I may lose my job. My kid may not want to hang out with me anymore. The, the fear. The fear within us. My child or my wife, men, may think that I'm weak because I cry and drop to my knees and cry out to God. There's a lot of people in the world that say men that go to church go to church because they're weak. Y'all are the strongest men in the world. You guys are the warriors of God. Nothing stronger than God. And nothing stronger than a warrior of God with a purpose. Nothing. Mordecai sends back a reply to her, Esther 4.14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther says, fine, I'll do it. I will do it. But I want you to fast. And I want you all to pray for me. And if I perish... So be it. I perish. Her path. She knew it was something she had to do. And there was absolutely no choice because she had to do it for her family. Her family needed her at that time to stand in the gap, to save their lives. Just as our families need us to stand in the gap, to save their lives. Right now, one another big thing about men of God is that there's absolutely no mentoring to a young man of God, to a boy, to a teenager, to adolescents. There's nothing representing God to them. We think that taking them out and taking them camping or taking them play baseball or taking them to go go-karts or taking them to work on cars, whatever it may be, I'm making this man of God. The Bible says to lead them as a man of God. We lead them. Being the example of what a man of God, what a warrior of God is all about. Trusting in God and teaching them how to trust in God. 
So Esther invites the king. She invites the king and Haman, right? Haman to a dinner. And Haman gets all excited. Ooh, she's inviting, the queen is inviting just me and the king. This is going to be good. Yet he's still mad at Mordecai because Mordecai still won't bow to him. So he sets up this big old pole up in front of his house, and he's like, I am going to impale him on this pole right after dinner. I'm going to go have a good dinner with the king and queen, and then we'll come back, and he is going to be impaled. Go to the dinner, and she tells the king what's happened. So what does the king do? Takes Haman and impales him on the pole. Lifts up Mordecai. Stops the whole process of what he's talked about with killing the Jews. All because one woman took her path as that warrior to stand in the gap for her family, for her people. Think about how it looks for us. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing right now? Or what could I be doing? What should I be doing that I know I need to do for my family? Or for me? Or for my church? Or for my community? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing for them right now? Where is it that I'm supposed to be standing in the gap for my family? Because the key to failure is passivity, right? The key to failing is never doing anything. I'm, I can just turn my head. I don't, have to, I don't have to see it. I can turn away from it. And then I'm going to reap the consequences of not letting God take me in that direction, on that path. So what is it that I could be doing right now? Is it spending more time with my family? Is it, and I just say this because Dennis and I have conversations, is it my teenage daughter? I don't have one. I'm thinking about my three-year-old. And I'm already telling her, boys are bad. Stay away from them. They're evil. There's only two good boys in this world. It's not even grandpa. It's me and her brother. That's it. Nobody else. <laughs> I don't want to confuse her. I just want her to know they're all bad. Teenage girls. Do I need to, as, as a father, do I need to just take my daughter out? Show her what a man of God is, so that she judges everything against that. Every guy that takes her out, every guy that talks to her, is going to have to stand up to what this warrior of God is all about. As my example, he'll see me cleaning my guns. He'll see me sharpening my knives. He'll see all that stuff. But when I'm not standing there with a the gun or a knife, I want him to, I want her to remember. I want her to remember how I treated her what a man of God does to treat her. So she expects that. Is it my little guy, my son? Am I always telling him what to do and what not to do and forgetting to spend time just loving him? Am I forgetting to just go hang out because I'm always trying to better him? Not as a man of God, but into something else. Does he understand that he can just hang out with his dad and learn from me? Or does he think I'm always going to try 
pushing him to be something that he may not be at that time. Or do I just need to be on my knees praying more in front of my family? Or is it my wife? I need to take her out more, more dates, whatever. What is it that I could be doing right now to stand in the gap for my family so that they don't feel the death of an absent warrior of God? Courage is not always about the easy stuff. It's the everyday decisions that we have to make. It's not, I'm training to do this marathon. It's, I'm running a marathon all day, every day that my Bible is preparing me for. That my family, my community, my church, other men of God in my life are preparing me for. That marathon's every day. It's not a one-time thing. We do it all day long. And we get tired. You know this. We get tired. That's why we need each other. But it's hard because every single day in these decisions, you guys know this. And I talk, like, you guys are working up in the mind. You guys are always telling me this kind of stuff. You say I'm a Christian, everybody's watching. Every single thing you do. Oh, does a Christian do that? Oh, does a Christian do that? Oh, does a Christian do that? Always watching. How much closer is your family watching? How much closer do they watch what you do, how you act? And so every single day I'm, you, we make these decisions. And then God says, okay, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this instead. Right? Like, I don't know how that's going to turn out. I know if I do this, I know this is going to turn out. So it's hard. It's hard to feel or hear God put in our hearts to do something and do it. It is hard until you do it for the first time. When you take that first step, and you listen, and you do what God is telling you to do instead of what you want to do, it can never be taken away from you. But we can be like Israel in the wilderness, and we can forget how God got us to where we are and just focus on right now, and we forget those experiences. But in my heart, I know God told me to do this. Now I get a decision to make. And our family, our children, our wives are watching us. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The fear we have does not come from God. It comes from Satan. And there it says, warriors of God, you have been given the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind. That's what God has put in us. Me, and I'd like to give, as a goal, as a warrior of God, a man of God, so just this courageous warrior, man of God, it's just like, come on, Satan, let's get it on, right? I'm not, I am not uh, ignorant to how strong Satan is. He's not weak. Satan is not weak. Satan is very strong. And if my eyes are not looking at God, Satan will win. You can only, remember, you can only submit to one and fight the other. If I'm not focusing on God, I'm fighting God. So Satan will win. So I want, as a warrior's man of God, I want to know, my family knows when I show up, they're safe. 
Be, not because of me, but because I'm a warrior of God. Because of God. When I make a decision, they know that I'm going to God first before I ever bring it to my family. I'm going to God first to find out what God wants for us, not just doing it myself and what I think would be good. When they need advice or discipline, I'm going to give it in a godly way. Not in my selfish way, in a godly way. When we come before a storm, I just wrote this as a quote just because it's not like when I'm doing this, I'm just like, ah, you know, just like, ah. And I wrote, I want my wife to say, I know my husband and my kids, my dad is going to do everything he can do with integrity to do what God is telling him to do. Can you imagine, man? Can you imagine if your wife or your kids said that to you? You would drop. You would just drop. Like, thank you. I heard a story of um, a young man, and he had to discipline his son because his son was lying. And he disciplined his son. Um, actually, I'm sorry, because his son did something he wasn't supposed to do. And so he stood outside the door, and he just bawled after he disciplined his kid. And he just sat there, and he bawled. And he heard his kid through the door start praying. This was a six-year-old little boy saying, God, please don't let dad be mad at me. Don't let dad leave. I'm sorry what I did was wrong. Wow. That is awesome, right? His example has led that kid. When I'm down, I want my family to know I'm going to drop to my knees and I'm going to cry out to God. When there's a storm, I'm going to cry out to God. Not cry out at the people around me. Not pick somebody that created the storm around me. I'm calling out to God as a warrior of God. God, it's time. What do you want me to do? What can I do for my family? Let me be that man that steps in that gap for my family. That this warrior of God would be known as a man seeking God's direction. So this is tough. It, I mean, this is so hard because it is a marathon every single day. And men, we need each other. Women, you need each other. You know, there's this thing like, so uh, I, I was telling the guys this week, there's a story that a guy got this hot woman, right? This hot girl walking by. He walks by another guy, and the guy's like, wow, dude, how'd you get that? And he's like, yeah, rock, got him, he's mine. Same story. Woman walking with the dude. Her friend says, how did you get that? What? What's wrong with me? Why can't I have something like that? Is there something wrong with me? What, why, what, was he too good for me? We're different. We're completely different. If a woman tries to tell me all the things they're going through, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I have no idea. But I do know what a dude is going through. I do know what a man is going through. And that is how we stand together. We need each other. We men need each other. You women need each other. We need to feed each other. We need to hold each other accountable. 
come on, man. You know this isn't right. Hey, where are you at? What's going on in your life? For me, and this has been on me, and I'm sorry I'm going to say this. This morning, we had an amazing weekend. People came, and Dennis and Jeremiah, and um, but Billy and I got a lot of time to spend together, which was awesome. And we we have a working relationship together, and we have well, not a friendship, an acquaintance relationship together. He keeps telling me not friends, but acquaintances. So we have an acquaintance relationship together. And Billy's been consistent. He doesn't even live here. He lives in a valley. He comes up constantly. And Billy and his family went through a very traumatic time. And I never called you and asked you, where you been? I failed as a man of God to be there for my brother. And that hit me hard coming back this morning. It hit me hard. He's out there in the wilderness. He and his family. He needs somebody to step in the gap for him to be there for him, to help him, to support him, just as you women do, just as you women need each other as well. This creates this place of unity, us, together, a church, a unified group coming together, body of Christ, to be warriors of God, to be a team together, so we can take on anything together. Bring it. We can take it on together. We can fight this together. We own this together with God. I heard this thing that says, the church is like the U.S. Embassy in Mexico. The church is the embassy of heaven. What is our embassy doing for the people in our family? That's strong, right? We are the people of God, the words of God, representing God and the love of God. Christ. What are we doing as a heavenly embassy here in glory? That, that hit me. I, I really like that. So we have to take charge. We have to take charge. So you men of God, warriors of God, you have to take charge. You have been given this purpose. You have been given this calling, whether you want it or not, and you are expected to walk in it. Home improvement, right? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do it. We need each other. We have to do it together. Representing God in every single step that we take. Rallying this church behind our pastor. Our pastor needs men of God, warriors of God, rallying behind him to help him to take this out. Not just to get people saved. We want people saved, yes, but not just to get people saved. We need to get people saved, but we need to save our families. We need to save our church. We need to disciple them. We need to teach them. We need to lead them. What good is it to never put anything into these people that accept God? What do they know? Uh, we do this together. We own this. God has given it to us. He's already given it to us, just like he gave it to the Israelites. Gave it to them. All we have to do is step out and say, yes, that land is filled with milk and honey. The fruit is amazing, and we own it. Let's go get it.
do it together. As a unified group, body, family, walking beside each other and with each other. If you want to be like Jesus, serve your family, serve your church, and you will see the power of God work around you. You will see the future change, no doubt. You will see a change. Courage is allowing God to define your identity instead of you. And no matter how scary that might be, doing it. It's hard. Winston Churchill, there comes into the life of every man a task for which he and he alone is uniquely suited. What a shame if that moment finds him either unwilling or unprepared for that which would become his finest hour. What if we missed it? Joshua 24, 15. Say it again. But as for me, my household, I will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. Courage is not about physically fighting. Courage is about, I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the worldly norm is. It's for me and my household. I will serve the Lord. I'll stand up. I'll stand up. I'll stand in the gap. I'll be that warrior that nobody else is stepping up to be. I will be there with my men of God. I will be there with the women. The women be with the women of God. We'll do this together because I am going to serve the Lord. If you're not involved in anything, begging you, begging you, find out what is going on, what is happening that you could become a part of. If you're a woman and you're not surrounding yourself with other women of God, find them. If you're a man, you're not surrounding yourself with other men of God, find them. We have to be there for each other, helping us run that marathon every day. Not judging, helping. Going after God together. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Father, we thank you so much for our body, for our family, for our purpose. And Jesus, we just ask that you just fill our hearts with that desire for that purpose, with that warriorness within us, that faith to just stand there, be that warrior to hold hands together, charging against anything that Satan may try to come at our families, our family members, our church, our community. We ask, Father, that you would just increase this desire in us each and every day. Father, I ask that you just bless each and every one of us and protect us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today here at the Living Waters Church in Globe, Arizona. We hope you enjoyed the message. May you have a great week and may everything you do be blessed by God.